Grace, mercy, and the peace of our God be and abide with you this day and every day. Amen. This morning we continue the series that we began a couple of weeks ago, The Obedience of Faith. We've been saved by grace through faith, and now we've been saved for a purpose. What's our purpose in life? What has God given us to do? There are things for us to do to live lives that bring glory to Jesus. As the Apostle Paul writes Philippians, and we're in Philippians chapter 1 for the most part today, it's helpful to understand the context that he was in. Paul had gone to Philippi and had only met a few people when some trouble was stirred up and Paul was jailed. And he interacted with a woman named Lydia and the Philippian jailer and his family. And beyond that... Not a lot of other people that we know about. There probably were some. But at the time he was writing this letter back to that church, he has left that place and gone elsewhere. And now, as he's writing, the context of his, of his letter comes from him in Rome in chains. Jailed writing back to the Philippians from that place, noting that he's suffering for a greater good, a furthering of the gospel. And in verse 21, we reach this this phrase that Paul uh, coined that is fairly well known, to live is Christ, to die is gain. We're going to take those two ideas in reverse order as as we consider worthy conduct a worthy manner of life. First, to die is gain. Maybe you've known someone who's anticipated that gain. A a person who is in in maybe the late stages of his or her life, having lived a full life, and maybe finding himself or herself, you know, in this this season where uh, the body is failing, and feeling like there's not much left. There's not much time, and there's not much reason. And maybe they have this same idea that Paul expresses, that to be with Christ is far better. That's verse 23. My desire is to depart. Depart this life, is what Paul means, and be with Christ. For that is far better. To be in the presence of Jesus. We look forward to that moment, that time, that, well, that eternity. We're not there now. We're separated from the full presence of Jesus. He is with us as, as he promised to be, the end of the great commission that we just shared in the, in the baptism, um, that he is with us to the end of the age. So Jesus is with us. We're in his presence, but not fully, not in the same way still separated. Oftentimes we call this this life that we live, this time that we're in, the now and not yet of the present day. We are in Jesus' presence now, and yet not quite. So it it is now, but it's not yet fully realized. It's not yet fully comprehensible. It's not yet so complete that all the promises of Jesus are fulfilled. We're not quite there. To die is gain. 
perfect peace that we anticipate. Without the burdens that we bear, without the sins that we've committed still pulling us away from God, we will be at home in the Lord. There's a story told about um, a Polish rabbi who was fairly well known in the 1800s. His name, if I pronounce it close, I'll uh, be grateful. Hafez Chaim. An American tourist visited him and noted that he was in a simple room. Wasn't much there, just a simple table, a chair, and some books. In what we would call in our homes probably the living room. That's what he had. Curious, the American tourist said, where's your furniture? And the surprising reply wasn't an explanation, wasn't really an answer, but a question. Where's yours? Where's mine? I'm a visitor. I'm only passing through. And the answer was, me too. We're only passing through. Our lives are temporary. We're strangers and aliens, and we're, we're looking ahead. We're looking ahead because we have a guaranteed future purchased by the shed blood of Jesus, our Savior. Guaranteed to us through the waters of baptism, as Camilla was this morning, we are claimed, we are marked, we are redeemed through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith born of the Spirit at work, And so we look forward to stepping into that eternity. We can be certain of God's promise of perfect peace, of everlasting joy. No more pain, no more tears, no fear, no factions, no enemies, no pandemics or wildfires, no surgeries or recoveries, no burdens, no struggles, no stresses. That is what awaits us. So to die is gain. Yes. But with Paul, we know to live is Christ. What does that mean? I mean, it sounds kind of strange, right? Christ is a person. Jesus Christ. This is, this is uh, our Savior. So how is to live is Christ? What, is, what does that mean? What is Paul talking about there? He's identifying that there is work to do. In verse 22, he says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. He's given us work to do, things that we should carry out. So Paul understood that. Paul knew that. For Paul, it was to preach the gospel among Gentiles in particular, to visit towns and cities to travel, and it sounds exciting in a lot of ways to go from place to place and to found churches and get it started and then move on to the next one. It also sounds exhausting (laughs) to live that way, to continually be on the move, especially, well, when Paul wasn't quite as successful as maybe he wanted to be. Now, he was successful a number of places and a number of times, and there were people who came to faith through the work that Paul did, through the churches that he founded, and so he he had reasons to be confident and full of joy as he's writing back to the Philippians. He's talking about that. 
I want to be filled with this joy that comes from knowing about your faith. But Paul had problems too. We might suffer. In our lives, we might suffer. Jesus did. He suffered accusation, betrayal, attempts on his life. Ultimately, he suffered under Pontius Pilate as we confessed in the creed. He suffered the death on the cross. He suffered and was buried, we confess. Paul suffered too. Imprisonment in Philippi and then later in Rome. Chased out of town, threatened, shipwrecked, hunger. Paul knew suffering. Sometimes we feel like we're suffering for no reason. Maybe, maybe something physical. A, a chronic condition. Some kind of pain or injury or illness that you endure And it feels unfair. It feels like there's no reason for this suffering. Sometimes we suffer emotionally with a brokenness that comes from someone else's carelessness or callousness, and it doesn't seem to to be worth suffering through. Or maybe we make a great effort toward a goal only to come up short. A business that you're part of doesn't achieve the success you dreamt of. Work feels wasted. There's many other examples. There's other times, though, that we suffer for a good reason or a worthy cause. If you're a parent and you're, and you're up in the night with your sick child, it's not comfortable, it's not easy, you're losing sleep, you're maybe worried or stressed out about your, about your child's health or life, but you know that that's for a greater reason, a greater purpose. Or you're working, you work hard, you put in long hours, you meet the goal, you make the delivery date, you achieve some success, and and the business benefits yourself and even other people. Or maybe the soldier who's going to go into battle to protect fellow citizens or work to keep peace and protect the fellow citizens of your country. That's a suffering that's worth it. A danger that's worth dealing with. Those who fight tyranny or oppression through peaceful means. For some, it's tirelessly writing letters, sending emails. For others, it's, you know, if you think about the 1960s era sit-ins that people had and arrests they were threatened with in the the violence and all those things, but it was for a greater cause. And it was worth it. Paul notes that we might suffer for Jesus' sake. For it has been granted, this is in verse 29, to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. In the gospel reading today, there, there's the people who are called out to work in the vineyard. And, you know, some bear the heat of the day and suffer that. Others, not as much. It, it won't be equal what we have to deal with. But there's a reward waiting that is for all of us. 
There's a good that comes out of the work that we do and the things that we endure. What if we knew more about the good that was happening or could happen from what we deal with, even when it feels like it's not for any purpose or reason? See, there are times when we suffer something, and maybe what happens is it makes us understand, sympathize, and even support or encourage someone else in their suffering. Sometimes we endure, and our endurance is for a greater good than we initially recognize. What if we recognize that locally, the pandemic that's been going on for the last six months hasn't taken quite the toll it has in other places? Is this because of the restrictions we're under, because of our social distancing, our mask wearing, that we're outside even for a baptism this morning, that we're in the sun in the open air, we're avoiding gatherings, we're worshiping virtually, and through all these efforts, it's helping. Now, don't get me wrong, you're missed, and I'm more than ready to open the doors and have people back in here so I can see faces and I can hear laughter and we can be together. But maybe what we're enduring is for a greater good, and not just our health. Maybe we're being pruned, maybe we're being shaped, maybe we're being transformed to something that is yet to come or yet to be revealed or realized. It's when we keep these kind of perspectives that we get to see this bigger picture. This is what Paul talks about. This is his perspective that he shares in verses 12 and 13. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Where's Paul again? Oh, he's in a Roman prison. Not a comfortable experience. Not the Hilton. (laughs) The Roman prison where probably he was sleeping on the stone floor or in the dirt. Probably he didn't have a lot of nourishment, a lot of of good food. Probably he didn't spend a lot of time outdoors in the fresh air. Probably he didn't get a lot of sunshine. There were probably a lot of parts of it that would have been difficult at best or, or terrible. Awful. But he goes on, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. People were understanding more about the faith through Paul's imprisonment than they would have otherwise. See, Paul had hope, verse 20. He talks about, uh, it's his eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body by life or by death. See, Paul was confident either way that Christ could be honored in him. Whether he was released and could return to Philippi and visit these friends of his, or if something else were to happen, which we know is what took place. Paul offers encouragement. In contentment or in suffering, he offers the encouragement to us to conduct yourself in a worthy manner. 
Or as it says in verse 27 in the translation we, we used, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's always thinking about that. What does that mean? To, to have a manner of life that's worthy of the gospel. It came to mind that, you know, when you're in the library, <laughs> that there's uh, the expectation that we communicate in hushed tones. Or stores, um, I remember growing up, seeing signs on the, on the store window, no shoes, no shirt, no service. And now next to that, there's a handwritten one, sometimes, many times, mask required, taped to the door. There's an expectation of how we will look, how we will behave, how we will uh, conduct ourselves, especially in our current time. But in a lot of places that exists. A number of years ago, Paula was invited to sing the national anthem at the Navy Ball in Oklahoma City. There's a naval presence at Tinker Air Force Base, and um, we had a friend who was an officer there and uh, was part of our congregation in Oklahoma, and, and so that's how it worked out, how, how she got connected to it. And so we're going to go to the Navy Ball. So I got a tux to wear, and she put on this fantastic dress. Um, and, you know, so we're all dressed up, and, and we're going to go... Uh, to this, to this place. But the, so the clothing that we're wearing. And I remember when she was singing the national anthem and everyone was standing, I was, I was looking around trying to see, you know, how does, what, is, what does it look like to be in the presence of all, all these naval, primarily officers, I think enlisted people as well, who are, who are hearing this. And they are all standing perfectly still, like statues, focused on the flag, hearing the words with the most respect I've seen. And it made me embarrassed for having looked around. Citizens entering a country are expected to learn a language, understand customs, history, laws. None of these behaviors make us, you know, grant us access to that place or that environment or that situation. But in that place or environment or situation, there are expectations. There are ways in which we live. The Apostle Paul also wrote it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And further, he goes on to say, with humility, with patience, with love, with unity. Here are the specifics he gives in in Philippians chapter 1. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, he says. And he goes on in verse 27. So that I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So there's three parts we can pull out of this to see what Paul's telling us to do? How should we operate? Stand firm in the faith, Paul says. Live by faith. Rely on Jesus. We're going to face challenges. We're going to face trials. We're going to endure suffering. Stand firm. We're going to have questions. We're going to have doubts. We're going to wonder about things. Stand firm in the faith. Holding fast to that hope. Trusting in Jesus. 
living in faithful obedience that we're talking about this month. Conducting ourselves in a way that says, I believe. Life is challenging, I believe. Life is hard, I believe. I'm enduring this suffering, I believe. The second thing, after stand firm in the faith, is to strive together for the gospel. With one mind, striving side by side. That's toward the end of verse 27. Growing together. Striving to to learn more, to know more, to grow in this faith that we have in Jesus as brothers and sisters in Christ. To share in this fellowship that we, well, miss so bad right now. But to share hope, striving not just that we would understand, that we would know the gospel, but strive that the gospel would be known. Just as as Paul said, this is for the advancement of the gospel so that it can get to Rome, so that it can influence the lives and the faith of, of the imperial guard. Strive together that the gospel would be known by people around us, even through this strange time. And don't be afraid. He says, not frightened in anything by your opponents. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of your opponents, of of people who would oppose your faith, people who would inflict upon you suffering. Don't be afraid even of death. But live in the freedom of the gospel. Our obedience of faith means that we connect with one another, that we support each other, and that we reach toward others who don't yet know Jesus. Our obedience of faith says, I'm going to stand firm in this truth. Our obedience of faith says, yes, I will carry out my life as a believer in Jesus, even through things I have to endure. May we be obedient children of God through everything we experience. Amen.